Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome to day number eight. Welcome to Jerusalem. Today we're going to learn together about the last week of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. And we're going to go into a journey of a 2,000 years ago. And first, we will start on the Mount of Olives with the view. And then we're going to go down to the Dominus Flaviot Church, where the Lord wept over Jerusalem. Then we're going to take the bus to Mount Zion, learn about the upper room, and then walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then from the Garden of Gethsemane, walk through the Kidron Valley to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And then from there, walk to the Antonia Fortress, the Praetorium, where Jesus stood before Pontius Pilatus for judgment. And then we're going to speak about Jesus' trial and walking through the Via Dolorosa and ending at crucifixion. So today is a long walking day and we're going to walk for around five hours. Like we're going to walk minimum five miles. So this is a hard day. But my purpose for this day is to walk you through the last week of Jesus in Jerusalem. And not many tours do that. They see the sights but you don't physically walk exactly or because 2000 years has passed i won't say exactly we're going to walk similar to the route that jesus took during his last week in jerusalem the group left the hotel and we are on our way to the mount of olives you have to understand that the mount of olives is not one mountain or one ridge it is a series of three ridges and all the ridges together the length is two miles and the highest ridge highest point is 826 meters or 2710 feet above sea level and each ridge has an important building and in that building there is towers so the first ridge have the hebrew university on Mount Scopus and have the Hebrew University Tower. It's so visible and you can see it from far. The Hebrew University was established in 1918. You have to understand 1918 is 30 years before the establishment of the State of Israel. So between the 1948 war and the Six-Day War, 1967, the Hebrew University was protected with the UN and under Jordanian administrative territory. 
So the university today have seven faculties, more than 100 research centers, 315 academic departments. It's considered one of the top universities in the world. The second ridge we are driving, we, you will see the Augusta Victoria Hospital. This complex was named after Augusta Victoria, wife of the German Caesar Wilhelm II, who visited Jerusalem in 1898, and he wanted to build something and name it after his wife. There's also a German Protestant church and a tower. So this is the second tower marking place on the Mount of Olives. I recommend if people have extra time to go inside the compound and get a ticket and go all the way up to the tower to the top. It will be the best views looking at the Judean desert and looking at East Jerusalem. And the views simply are amazing from that church tower. This compound has been used as a hospital during the 1948 war and even earlier during the First World War and the Second World War and 1948 and 1967 and later by the Jordanians and today by the Palestinian population. The third important building and tower and marking place on the Mount of Olives is the Russian Orthodox Convent of the Church of Ascension. So according to Russian Orthodox tradition, this is the site where Jesus ascended to heaven. 40 days after resurrection. We read that from Luke 24, verse 51. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So, there is also another tradition that the head of John the Baptist, beheaded by Herod Antipas, was found in the 4th century in a jar hidden in the chapel adjacent to the Church of Ascension on the Mount of Olives. The bell tower of this church is 64 meters high. And during the construction of the convent, we're talking about uh, mid-19th century, 1870 till 1887, it was the first Christian bell to operate in the Ottoman city. It dominates the area of the covenant and the skyline of Jerusalem. So these are the three important towers that you can see from wherever you approach Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. The first one was the Hebrew University Tower, the second one Augusta Victoria Tower, and the third one the Russian Ascension Church Tower. The bus is arriving to the lookout of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. It is a staple place for every tourist to visit and see the panoramic view of Jerusalem. But what I will do with the group is something different as always. I will go to an obscure lookout and not the normal one because the normal ones are so much crowded and with tourists. So I want to take the group to an offbeat lookout which is better than the main one. So I will ask from the group to walk after me and through a short trail with a cement paved hill going all the way down, we'll find the best views 
and there is no people there there is no groups it's only used by the locals and we are far away from the hustle and bustle of the groups that are coming to see the panoramic view of jerusalem the first thing that attracts people's eyes is the golden dome of the rock some pilgrims will show emotions of surprise and joy to first look out of this holy city and I will share with the group you just come into Jerusalem as Jesus would have arrived as a pilgrim from Galilee and we followed his footsteps we came from Galilee I tell the group do you all see the golden dome of the rock extending my arm full length and pointing at the top of the dome there's where the temple was in jesus time twice the height and twice the width and when pilgrims of jesus day caught their first glimpse of jerusalem of the temple as you are doing today they would sing the psalms of ascent psalm 122 I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And look also to the right. You see a silver dome church. Me pointing and posing while the pilgrim point out the site to each other. That is our next stop. The Dominus Flavit church. The Lord wept. Jesus wept there over the city of Jerusalem. Because he predicted the destruction of the city then I point my hands all the way to the walls of Jerusalem and I ask the people do you see the wall that's the old city walls East Jerusalem and in back of it you see the skyscrapers of the new city West Jerusalem and there do you see the tall white building pointing and posing there is a bit below just to the left is twin stores office in west jerusalem the highest building you see in the far horizon i smile and ask them do you want me to show you my house too they will answer yes we want to come and visit your home i will answer them with a big smile we will see because in my ma mind and planning to take the group to walk inside the Christian quarter of my neighborhood. I want them to have the local experience of the streets of Jerusalem and not only the tourist traps. So I will tell the group, take a couple of minutes for pictures, please. And then I will find a place for the group to sit down comfortably for me to start teaching them about the last week of Jesus in Jerusalem and I will carry them back in history 2000 years ago and I will try to apply the last week of Jesus walking in Jerusalem with our tour so I will try to make it for them so simple that they can see what Jesus has done 2000 years ago so we're gonna follow the footsteps of Jesus in Jerusalem. The most important week in history. We will be reviewing Matthew from chapter 21 to chapter 28. And I will tell the group this will be your homework. Please, when you go back later, 
please read it because after you had been walking it, it will make much more sense to you. So imagine we are 2000 years ago in history. We are in the first century of the common era. And today is March 29, 33 AD, Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And it's day one. Remember I told you the last week of Jesus in Jerusalem? So we'll start with day one. It's a holiday was coming. What holiday? The Passover. You have to understand that the Passover festival was an important major Jewish holiday to Jews in Jesus' time. And even today, but it was much more important in Jesus' time because the temple existed at that time. And there were so many Jews from all over the world, the ancient world, would go to a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices in the temple and jesus was jewish with his disciples it was passover and of course he's gonna go up to jerusalem and even they would travel so far that it wouldn't be practical to bring the sacrifices with them so they would buy the sacrifice at the temple and the disciples did not understand that jesus would be the sacrifice and as we learned that Jesus had been out in the countryside preaching, teaching, casting out demons, healing people, and doing all kinds of miracles. And he became so popular that the people had decided he was surely the new king of Israel. And Jesus knew his time is coming soon to go up to Jerusalem. And he knew he will be sacrificed and knew he's going to go through crucifixion because Jerusalem is an important political location in the ancient Roman world in the first century. And think about it today. Also, Jerusalem is a very important place. Anything happens in Jerusalem will be spread in the Roman Empire in three months. All the news. So it's such an important location. And this is why Jesus knew he is coming to Jerusalem to be sacrificed. So he sent his disciples to borrow a donkey so that he could ride into Jerusalem instead of walking. He wasn't being lazy. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was doing what a verse in the Old Testament said he would do. Zechariah 9.9 9. And by the way, this is a prophecy that every Jew living in Jerusalem in the first century knows about. The coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a cult, the fall of a donkey. And just a point on a side, anytime you read the daughters of Zion or daughters of Jerusalem, daughters means the villages around Zion, the villages around Jerusalem, not only Jerusalem itself, but also the villages surrounding it. Anyway, the disciples borrowed the donkey. Jesus jumped on it and was ready to go down the Mount of Olives. A large crowd, imagine with me, was on the road. And they didn't think that a donkey being ridden by the king should have to walk on the ground because they appreciate 
their Messiah, they appreciated their king, and finally he came to free them. So they wanted to give honor and respect to the king. So they started putting their coats on the road. And culturally, if you put your clothes down in front of the animal, it is saying, Jesus, we give you all the authority and all the respect to rule over us. We surrender everything to you. You are our new king of Israel. That's how much they loved and adored Jesus on that Sunday. And when they didn't have enough coats to lay on the ground, they started cutting the leaves from the palm trees and laying them on the road. And this is where we get the name Palm Sunday. You have to understand that palm branches are a symbol of freedom in the first century. It is a hidden emblem, which means save us. We need our freedom. Save us from the Romans. So when someone is holding a palm branch in the first century, it means an indirect message. It's about freedom because the emblem of the freedom of the Jewish state in the first century is the palm branches, the palm tree. And in the Kidron Valley, not far from here, down the hill, we found two coins minted in the first century. And on the coins, there are palm tree branches. So we know the timing of the first Jewish revolt when they started for their freedom and minting coins. So even if you look at the Israeli coin today, the one shekel, you will find palm branches. It's a symbol, it's a hidden symbol of freedom. Free us from the Romans. And while all of this was going on, the crowd was yelling loudly, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to Melech David. They were giving him the royal treatment. Hosanna in Hebrew literally means save us. And actually, it means save us now. Hosanna, save us now 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 jesus you are the king we have been waiting for this for so many years according to the prophecies now we want our freedom we want you to be a king that take out the romans and rule over all israel but jesus was not that kind of king he was a different king he wanted to bring them freedom not only from the Roman occupation and not only from the oppression of paying taxes and being occupied. Jesus wants to bring freedom for them from sin because sin is the source of every occupation. Always Jesus went to the core, deeper and deeper, to the intentions of the heart. And imagine how many crowds there were. They were yelling loudly and praises. And some people were trying, imagine, to shake his hand or to touch him. And some people wanted to grab his attention. And there was a lot of crowds. And the crowds were becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. So imagine with me, like, all the people, all the pilgrims and the visitors that were in town, in Jerusalem, for the Passover holiday... They started asking, who is this? 
I guess that everyone who had heard or had seen what Jesus had done was proud to tell the crowds about who was this man, Yeshua Menatzeret, Jesus from Nazareth. So they were talking about people getting healed of blindness, him turning a few fish into like 5,000 men to feed them and their families, even how he made the people come alive, back to life. And everyone was talking about this king, how powerful he was. And everyone was proud of him. But Jesus inside him was different. He was preparing himself as a lamb to be sacrificed. And this is his hardest week in his life. And in the people's minds, they wanted him to be the new king, the savior. And the disciples were proud to be with Jesus on that day. So this is Jesus coming to Jerusalem on a donkey, humbly from the east. And on the opposite side of the city, there is another triumphal entry to Jerusalem. From the west, Pontius Pilatus, the Roman governor of Edomia, Judea and Samaria, entered Jerusalem with a large crowd and a large army showing the power of Rome and the power of the kingdom of the Romans. All the troops and Pontius Pilate had come up from Caesarea Martina, Caesarea on the sea, about 60 miles to the west of Jerusalem. Like the Roman governors of Judea and Samaria, before and after him, Pilate lived in the new and splendid city of the coast of Caesarea. So here is Pilate's procession displayed not only imperial power, but also Roman imperial theology. According to this theology, the emperor was not simply the ruler of Rome, but the son of God. It began with the greatest of the emperor, Augustus, who ruled Rome from 31 BC to 14 CE. His father was the god Apollo, who conceived him in his mother, Atia. So inscriptions refer to him as the son of God, Lord and Savior, one who had brought peace on earth. After his death, he was seen ascending into heaven to take his permanent place among the gods. So Pilate's military and procession was a demonstration of Roman imperial power and Roman imperial theology. And you have to understand that it was standard practice of the Roman governors of Judea to be in Jerusalem for the major Jewish festivals. On the other side of the city, on the Mount of Olives, from the east, we see Jesus' procession proclaiming the kingdom of God. Pilate's procession proclaimed the power of his empire. And they entered the city with horses. Horses are a symbol of military power, wealth and strength. And Jesus on a donkey is a symbol of humbleness and upside-down kingdom. So Jesus' procession was happening on the other side of the city. Pilate's procession was about the power, the glory, and the violence of the empire that ruled the world. Jesus' procession was a different empire. It's about the kingdom of heaven. 
but the upside down kingdom the humble kingdom but with the romans it's about the kingdom of caesar and caesar is god and in pontius pilatus mind to kill jesus and have victory for the romans in jesus mind he will die on the cross to bring victory over death and i want to grab your attention for a moment i want you please all of you to look at the eastern walls of jerusalem you will see a closed gate this is what we know by the name in the scripture the eastern gate or by the name the golden gate which is again located in the northern section of the east walls of the temple mount and in jewish tradition the gate is called the gate of mercy and is considered to be the place from which the messiah had entered during palm sunday into jerusalem in the first century a.d and according to the jewish tradition that they believe that the shekinah the divine presence used to appear through the eastern gate and will appear again when the anointed one the messiah will come back and when jesus will come back the jewish tradition says he will enter again through this eastern gate according to the prophecy of ezekiel 44 1 to 3. let me read it for you verse 1 then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary which looked towards the east and it was shut then said the lord unto me this gate shall be shut it shall not be opened and no man shall enter in by it because the lord the god of israel has entered in by it therefore it shall be shut verse 3 it is for the prince the prince he shall sit in it to eat bread before the lord he shall enter by the way of the porch of the gate and shall go out by the way of the same so this is a prophecy of the messianic expectations i'll tell the group let's continue to walk down to the dominus flavit church where the lord cried over jerusalem most scholars believe that this touching emotional incident occurred during jesus triumphal entry into jerusalem on palm sunday when crowds threw their cloaks their clothes on the road in front of him and shouted blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord and jesus looking down on the city jesus wept over it and as he prophesied his future destruction and look what's mentioned in luke 19 37 to 44 verse 37 when he came near the place where the road goes down the mount of olives the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise god in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest some of the pharisees in the crowd said to jesus teacher rebuke your disciples i tell you he replied if they keep quiet the stones will cry out now key verse 41 as he approached jerusalem and saw the city he wept over it and said if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes 
the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children with your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And this incident took place 40 years later in 70 AD Jesus prophecy was fulfilled completely the Roman legions besieged Jerusalem and after six months of fighting they burned the temple and leveled the upper city and the lower city and the houses and the streets were completely destroyed exactly like Jesus prophesied and cried over the city. Look at the church. The architect, his name is Antonio Barluzzi, is a Catholic monk. And in the church architect, he symbolizes Christ's grief over the city by designing the church in the shape of a teardrop with tear bottles shaped on the four corners of its dome, as you see on the top. I let the group enter inside the small church and there is a nice window above the altar and seating so I let all the group get seated down to start teaching about Jesus crying over Jerusalem and if you look down the altar there is a mosaic of a hen gathering her chickens under her wings which recalls Christ's words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. I just read from Luke chapter 13 verse 34. I will ask the group a question. How many times did Jesus cry over Jerusalem? We are aware from scripture that he cried three times during his public ministry. First time was in Bethany. We can read that from John chapter 11 verses 32 to 45. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Key verse is 35. Jesus wept. The second time where we are right now, and it's mentioned in Luke 19, verses 41 to 44, I will read the first verse only, 41, when Jesus was entering Jerusalem. 41 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And the third time is in Hebrews 5, 7. Let me read it for you. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. What an emotional, hard day 
for Jesus entering Jerusalem. Everyone is rejoicing. Everyone is happy. But Jesus in his spirit is grieving and is sad and crying over the city. And probably Jesus that day went back to Bethany to rest because we know he stayed for the six nights in Bethany because he can afford to stay in Jerusalem. Bethany is only half a mile from the Mount of Olives and Bethania, the house of the poor, the house of the simple. And it's really come very expensive during the Jewish festivals till today during Passover or uh, the Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles, the prices get so high, even the hotel prices in the city. So even in Jesus' time, many Jews will be visiting and Jerusalem will be so much crowded, especially during Passover. So he preferred to stay in a simple place, in a simple home. So Jesus went home back to Bethany very sad and grieving because he knew this will be the hardest week in his life so next day morning is day number two monday march 30th 33 a.d jesus curses the fig tree and he cleanses the temple we know early morning jesus was going into town heading to the temple to teach and he saw a fig tree and he walked over it to get a bite. By the way, we eat a lot of figs in Israel. And as a kid, I was running around the Mount of Olives and finding these fig trees on season and eating from the fresh figs. They are very good and very sweet and delicious and tasty. Anyway, he got to the tree. He saw that it didn't have any fruit on it just a bunch of leaves and Jesus cursed the tree so here Jesus just told the fig tree that it would never have fruit again he cursed it and it weathered up immediately and died so the disciples were amazed by this miracle and when they asked him how did he do it he told them that it was just a little faith now let me explain it for you in the Middle Eastern mindset. The fig tree represents the elders of Israel and the high priest in the temple. Remember that day Jesus was going on his way to the temple to teach. It's like a Hebraic idiom, a metaphor, that the fig tree symbolizes the priests, the corrupt priests. And Jesus, by cursing the fig tree, he predicted what will happen to the corruption in the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. So it was a hidden emblem to prepare the disciples what going to happen to the corrupt high priest in Jerusalem. They will wither and die like the fig tree because they don't have any fruits. So on Monday, Jesus goes to the temple. And remember, there were people selling and buying stuff for the sacrifices. There were also people exchanging the local money, the shekels, the half a shekel, for the foreign money. They were all making a huge profit. Jesus saw this corruption and he was so mad and upset. 
he said that they were turning his house of prayer into den of thieves and robbers. And this is what exactly Prophet Jeremiah has done before Jesus as a prophet in the temple. He done the same thing in the house of the Lord. So Jesus turned over their tables and kicked them out of there. This made them so mad, the high priest. And not only them, not only the chief priests at the temple, but also the high priest Caiaphas. Because if anything happens in the temple of Jerusalem, this is worldwide news. This can't be. This means that things are out of control. Even Jesus stayed at the temple and made the preachers even more mad. Jesus started to heal people. People that were blind, he made them see. People that were crippled, he made them walk. This made the preachers look bad because they weren't doing this stuff like Jesus. And the preachers went to Jesus and said, Do you hear what those kids are yelling? They were hoping he would say, Kids, I'm just Jesus. Be quiet in this temple. But he didn't. He threw a scripture to the high priest. And he did that all the time. Look what Jesus said. Yes, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And then they were not able to answer him. And Jesus at that time, he was so exhausted, took a lot of energy from him. And he was so tired because he had a hard, long, long day. So he left to go to the town of Bethany to spend the night. Day number three, Tuesday, March 31, 33 AD. Jesus, the next day, also went to teach in the temple. And next day, early morning, Jesus went back to the temple again. He started doing what he did best, teaching and preaching the crowds. But the preachers and the chief priests wanted to trick him. They did not like what he was doing. They wanted him to say something that would be evidence in court to kill him at that stage. If not that, at least enough that all of the crowds around Jesus would turn away from him and against him. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't trick Jesus. He knew the Bible very well. Whenever they would ask him a question, he knew the answer immediately and backed it with scripture. They couldn't even argue with him. Then he would tell stories that would prove that even tax collectors and prostitutes would have a better chance of getting into heaven than the preachers themselves. Now, this is so humiliating for the religious people and for the high priests, especially when it comes to their own pride. And just to tell you, Jesus was doing this in purpose. And many times Jesus told his disciples not to call themselves rabbis or teachers. He said that the people who put themselves up and show off would get knocked down. And that people that acted humble would be lifted up, upside down kingdom. He was teaching about. Jesus said we should all act like servants to those that need us. The more Jesus taught, the madder the preachers and the high priest got. When they couldn't trick him, they sent others to try and trick him. 
They couldn't even do it either, and everyone was amazed at how smart Jesus was. The high priests knew that they were not liked, so they quit asking him questions. They went over to the high priest Caiaphas, because he was also corrupt, and he did not want to lose his position and fame. And with him, they started to discuss how they could get rid of Jesus. That day, Jesus went back to Bethany, and he stayed at Simon's house, the man that Jesus healed. And a woman brought over a bottle of very expensive perfume, opened it, and poured it on Jesus' head, and anointed him. The disciples were confused. They said, what? What is happening? We could sold this perfume and giving it to the poor. They did not see it. But Jesus surprised them by saying that she had done the right thing. She was getting him ready to be sacrificed like a lamb in the temple. Usually you put all the oil on the lamb before you sacrifice it. No one wanted to accept this hard truth. Even his disciples did not want to accept that Jesus will be crucified soon. Now, day number four. Imagine with me, Wednesday, April 1, 33 AD. Judas agrees to betray Jesus. We don't know exactly what Jesus done on Wednesday, day four. I'm positive either he went back to the temple to continue teaching and talking to the people in Jerusalem, or he want to talk to the daughter villages in Jerusalem, the countryside towns also. I'm sure he was teaching people and spending a lot of time in prayer. And the day, you have to understand, in the Roman time begins at sundown. And this is the last night Jesus spends in Bethany. The next day, final preparation will need to be made for the Passover on Thursday. A lamb must be obtained so that it can be slaughtered and roasted whole. Where will they have the meal? And who will prepare the meal? Jesus has not provided details yet. I will give the group like 20 minutes at the Dominus Flavia Church to go and take pictures. And then we're going to head to the bus to go all the way up to Mount Zion to upper room to learn about the fourth day, Thursday, the Passover meal.